This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Fantastic, Paul. Good morning to you. Fantastic. Great to see you and finally connect with you. And let's talk about Paraguay and a bit about Uruguay as well, since you have experience of both. Uh, for those who are just joining us, my name is Darren Joseph, HGD.tax. We talk about all things tax. We try to demystify the sometimes confusing world of cross-border taxation. And for those who are unfamiliar with our format, while we may be credential professionals, we are not your credential professionals, so we're not giving any advice. If it is that you want to make an informed decision about Paraguay, you probably need to book a strategy session and speak with Paul individually. So what, we, what we're talking right now is a really high level and probably give you a flavor for what these jurisdictions have to offer and whether it'll be of interest to you. But in order to make a decision, you would need to get advice that's tailor-made to your particular situation. So this is being live streamed, but it is also being recorded and it'll be available on over 20 platforms, uh, as well as our YouTube channel and as our, well as our website. Our website has over 1,000 articles that are absolutely free of charge, talking all things international tax. Our YouTube channel has well over 2,000 videos doing the same. So without further ado, over to you, Paul. Paul, please introduce yourself. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, thanks for having me today. My name's Paul Kitson. Uh, I run a company called Plan B Paraguay with um, another Australian friend of mine. Uh, we have the, the part of our company, like our, our lawyer and all that, she's been in this business for over 15 years. My colleague and I, we sort of turned it, we created Plan B Paraguay with her in the last um, 18 months or so. Uh, and part of that, where that came from was just uh, us moving to Paraguay, sort of a escaping Australia in a way and creating a new life here and just realizing that well, at least we believe this country has a lot of potential benefits to offer people and we think that's going to be a, a very attractive destination in the future for more people to to choose as a second home or a backup plan. Mm, fantastic thanks and and you mentioned when we first bounced a couple of emails you you spoke about a bit a bit about flag theory is that what yeah. led you towards Paraguay? And if so, you want to kind of create context about flag theory in general and how it worked for you? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll just give a quick uh, rundown of my background. So about five years ago, I was an American citizen through my mom. And people kept telling me, you know, you have to pay taxes to the IRS. You know, there's, there's some sort of thing. And I'm like, that can't be right. And so I looked into it and much to my horror, because although I was an American citizen, I'd spent basically my whole life in Australia. Apparently, I had all these obligations to the IRS, and there was all these incredibly scary potential repercussions that could happen if I wasn't compliant. And this was a real wake-up call for me, um, which led me to stumble upon, there's a content creator called The Nomad Capitalist. I'm sure many of your um, followers are familiar with him. And he was talking about this concept called flag theory, which is basically right. Um, you know, we're sort of raised patriotically that our the one country that we're born in, regardless of what it is, can sort of provide almost all of our needs. 
Whereas I feel flag theory, what it does is it provides an, an alternative way of looking at the world and, and looking at, you know, your citizenships and residencies. And it says, well, rather than putting all your eggs in one basket, mm -hmm. what if you could have a collection of different um, relationships with countries, whether it's citizenships, residencies, bank accounts, places where you actually live, and pick and choose the, the best the world has to offer in regards to how you want to live your life. Now, in the end, unfortunately, I actually renounced my U.S. citizenship, but it's, it, 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 it created that idea in my head that a citizenship isn't just something you're born with and, and you die with and it kind of stays the same. It can be like a, a forever um, something that's in flux where you're always getting more citizenships or residencies and potentially renouncing them if they no longer fit you. And that's what led me down this path of flag theory, which eventually led me to Paraguay. Mm, fantastic. And, and for those who aren't familiar with it, we do have an article about it on our website, hg.tax. So essentially, it's a term that was coined by this guy, I think his name is Harry Schultz, 1950s, 1960s. And it was used to more or less describe the idea that you don't have all your eggs in one basket and you live a diversified lifestyle. So where it is that you are a citizen is not necessarily where you're resident is not necessarily where you operate your company, is not necessarily where you store your wealth, and it's not necessarily where you enjoy yourself. There could be five different flags of five different jurisdictions. And since then, some people have expanded that to seven or eight theories. I mean, it's not meant to be dogmatic. It's just a principle that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You live a properly diversified lifestyle. And, and for some of our clients, so we deal with high-income earning clients, and for some of them, through perhaps not contemporarily, uh, fortunately, but for them within their family because they belong to, to certain groups that may have been persecuted in the past. They've seen situations where, you know, their parents or their grandparents may have lost their wealth in, uh, you know, parts of Europe and parts of Southeast Asia. And so it, for them, it's not a theory, it's real. You know, they know through their family the stories that you you know, it's good to have a healthy distrust of those in authority sometimes, and and that may lead you to, you know, diversify yourself a bit. So I, I'm, it's interesting that, that 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 philosophy has led you to explore your options. I'm also curious that you you said in, in, in giving your story that you, that unfortunately, you used the term unfortunately, you gave up your U.S. citizenship. Is that something you regret? Uh, what What are your thoughts around that? I don't. I don't regret my decision to do it because, on the balance of benefits to um, you know drawbacks, I still feel it was the right decision to make. Unfortunately, obviously, because um, even though I, I didn't really consider myself an American so much as my um, identity, you know, you're you're giving something up. You're giving up part of your identity. Um, and also, uh, for so long, and still to this day, you know, the American passport is just something that so many people as, aspire to as something that's incredibly valued. And so to walk away from that is, um, uh, is a big decision. And I guess my only um, regret is that I wish things would have been easier for Americans living overseas so they're not sort of put in the situation that they can be sometimes, forcing them to renounce. I understand. I understand completely what you mean. So, I mean, we're not the biggest practice in the world, but we probably deal with four or five persons every month 
who are giving up the U.S. passport or green card. And, mm. you know, it, it is a huge decision, but on balance, we also do pre-immigration planning and the queue of the line of people trying to get in, of, of people mm. with high enough to try to get in is way, way higher than those getting out. And and yeah. there was, uh, you mentioned Nomad Capitalist is another firm that we that we follow quite closely, Helmy and Partners. I'm not promoting them. It's just that they put out some great content in terms of content yeah. creation. They, they put out great content. And they have, for the past few years, or perhaps longer than that, I've just been paying attention for the past few years, they put out a list of the cities in the world where their highest net worth individuals would be concentrated, right? And a surprising number of them are in the U.S. So, and it, to me, what what is interesting about that is that there is this narrative, at least within social media, you know, like common social media, that it's all about minimizing taxes. Whereas when you look at those people who really do have wealth, they find themselves concentrated in places that are high tax. You know, they're mm. concentrated in the United States by far, mm. like six or seven of the top 10 cities in the world, as well as in Europe. And Europe is not synonymous with low tax. It's probably the highest tax jurisdiction on planet Earth. Whereas you would yeah. expect everyone to be fighting to live on some Caribbean island or in the Emirates. I mean, the Emirates does have something going on, but still people are queuing to get into the U.S. and to Australia. Australia, they take half your money, but people yeah. are fighting to get in. <laughs> to, to your point, you know, it's yeah. when you look at, at the flow of uh, of wealth, there's, you know, Australia is probably in the top three in the world in terms of high net worth people trying to get in. So, mm. so it is interesting. I, when, when we speak with clients and, you know, they've already made the decision by the time they get to us and we're just helping them with the tax uh, compliance piece. We, I, I normally give them two stories. So I, I moved to Singapore. I'm, I'm in Uruguay right now, but I moved to Singapore. Singapore is primary res, is my primary residence. I moved to Singapore in 2013, and one of the one of the stories that I encountered was obviously, well, um, you've lived in Australia, so you know Singapore is pretty small. Zero things happening there is pretty boring. So <laughs> weekends, people go and they do stuff elsewhere. And a bunch of people, a bunch of guys had gone on a guys weekend hiking in Malaysia next door. So they left, I think, on Saturday. It was Friday night and Saturday morning. And by Sunday evening, they had not returned. They missed their flight. They missed their ride back. So their wives and girlfriends were a bit worried. And they contacted the Malaysian authorities who said, sorry, we can't help you. But you know how the story goes. There were a bunch of Americans in the group. They contacted the embassy, just like a movie. Chopper goes in, brings them safely back home. You know, one of those Netflix moments. And wow. the, the thing is that we don't know of any other jurisdiction in the world that would go out of its way to help the citizens the way the United States does. Mm-hmm. When the French, they'll pay a ransom if you get kidnapped. The Brits, they will send you consular assistance. So someone from the British embassy will go and nod if you get trapped somewhere. Sorry, we can't help you. But those that would actually, you know, roll their sleeves up and get shit done is going to be in the U.S. So I give them that story uh, and another story. So uh, I, I spent a lot of my life because my parents are from Trinidad and Caribbean. And before it was a thing, in 1990, there was uh, a coup attempt, so a, a militant Islamic group 
took over the country for a period of time, a couple of weeks or something. And we have U.S. citizens in our home. And the U.S. Embassy would call our house every day. And I can't say that, you know, Paul is fine. They need to hear Paul's voice every single day. Mm. And we, you know, we have multiple passports. And that was the only embassy that contacted our home every day during that period of uncertainty. So I give those two stories. None yeah. of those two stories have been good enough to make anyone change their mind. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it is something to, to, something to consider. Now, the world is a pretty big place, and Australia is all the way on the other side. Mm-hmm. So how is it that Paul looked at a map of the world and decided on Paraguay? Yeah, so... Um... A little bit of my background, I've been a, I've been a crypto investor um, for a right. long time. And um, the interesting thing, if you want to leave Australia, similar to the US, you have to do basically something of an exit tax, where you have to pay out all the capital gains that you owe to the government, uh, basically before you leave, uh, so that you can sort of break ties with them. Now, I, um, in early 2021, the crypto market had just crashed. And um, again, uh, listening to advice online was like, okay, if you want to leave, now's not a bad time, right? Because the, as you do sort of cash out, as you leave, the amount of capital gains that you would be cashing out will be smaller. So I saw this as an opportunity to start investigating different options. And originally at the time, I was really moving towards Panama because there was something called the Friendly Nations Visa. It was very... Um, easy and um, accessible for certain nationalities to basically get a permanent residency in Panama. Now, just as I was looking into it, they actually changed the rules and then they made that a lot more difficult to obtain, which is basically how things are today. So then I paid for a consultation with a service probably similar to yours, and we went through all the different options I had available. One that came up uh, as a potential option was Paraguay. And um, it wasn't particularly common or popular, but um, it seemed to tick almost all the boxes that Panama did tick, but it still had the residency available. So I basically, I looked into it. It seemed, um, I mean, I was looking for good weather. I like Latin people, um, favorable taxes, relatively safe. Um, it ticked a lot of boxes for me. So I investigated. It looked like a good option. And then with um, another friend, Australian friend of mine I met online, we both um, made the plan to leave together. Now, what was funny in this time, especially my city in Australia, Melbourne, was in a hard lockdown. Um, mm. So much so that we actually had to write a letter to our government requesting permission just to leave Australia. So part of my friendship with my friend was actually there would be Facebook forums where Australians would uh, swap tips on what we can put in this letter to actually let the convince the Australian government to let us go. Thankfully, we were able to get our permission slip to leave Australia, and then we uh, we started our journey to um, Paraguay, where where I ended up today. Mm, wow, and that is. Wow, that's a wow. I mean, the idea, I mean, during the unfortunate health crisis, we saw a lot of governments taking steps that perhaps raise an eyebrow. And Australia did stand out. And I understand that there have been some cases, uh, cases are being in the, in the process of being brought before the relevant courts 
because there are definitely some constitutional challenges. The idea that you can prevent a citizen from leaving mm. or from re-entering, it does sound preposterous. And, you know, going back to what we were discussing earlier, flag theory, it's definitely a case study for the idea of diversifying your lifestyle. The I, So the idea really is that when a government perhaps overreaches a bit, and I mean, I mean, I'm not making excuses. You know, perhaps there was a good reason, blah, blah, blah. But when they do overreach, in our opinion, we at least have the option of saying, you know what? I'm going to take a time out. You know, it was good. I'll, I'll see you guys in a bit and, and you can go elsewhere. And, you know, so so definitely this as if, if there was ever a story that would justify it. I think what, what you just explained definitely, definitely is now. You so you, you decided on Paraguay. Mm. What is the process for, for residency in, in Paraguay? Yeah, yeah that's a great question, and mm. um, I think that's one of the uh, one of the strengths of the if you were to choose Paraguay as a solution. Mm. Effectively, um, you need basically two or three documents. So you'll need a, mm -hmm. a birth certificate with something called an apostille. Should I quickly go over what an apostille is for your... Please, yeah. Go for it. So um, how I like to explain it is you can imagine you have all these different governments um, around the world. They they need some sort of stamp to show that the government that you're... Sorry, the document that you're submitting to them from your home government is something that's acceptable, acceptable and it's legitimate. So it's basically a stamp one government will put on their own documents so that it's acceptable by other governments around the world. So anyway, you'll need your, your birth certificate with an apostille, or if your country doesn't do an apostille, there's a, a separate process for that that's very similar. You'll need a clean criminal record check, again, apostilled. And if you've been married or divorced, you also need that documentation um, with an apostille. So in terms of the documentation, it's really that. Now, where it can be a little bit restrictive is there's some passports that Paraguay easily gives a visa or it's visa free. And it's very easy for them, those people to use those passports to come uh, to Paraguay. There's other passports that Paraguay requires a visa, in which case the process can be a lot more difficult. Not necessarily the, the residency, but in helping people, sorry, in getting people to actually obtain the visa to come to Paraguay to start the residency. So if there's ever kind of like a hard barrier in who can sort of come and who's going to struggle, it's in regard to the visa requirements. So they're the three documents, potentially three that you need. Uh, once you have those documents, um, if you're using a place like me or another provider, usually we'll, uh, we want scans of all your documents to make sure everything looks good. Once it does, you then come to Asuncion. Uh, we like you to spend, Asuncion is the capital of Paraguay where, where we're based. We like to spend you to spend at least four days here. We usually only need one or two days to take you through to the government offices. Uh, we say four days just because it's South America. If there's a hiccup, it's good to have a bit of wriggle room to solve any issues before you need to leave. Once people have submitted their documents, they have two options. After that, you can effectively just start living in Paraguay from then on. The government will give you something called a bridging visa or a visa precaria, which basically means you can stay in Paraguay until your documents are ready. And then obviously when your documents are ready, you can start living. 
The other option is people can just return to their home country, in which case when the documents are prepared, we will send them to you um, via usually DHL Express. The average processing time from when you, um, sit, uh, when you touch down in Asuncion and start your process to receiving your, your documents in your hand is about two to three months. Mm, and that's really, really and that's really it in regards to, I guess, of the, the process. Super easy. And does your team look after Paraguay only, or do you cover other jurisdictions as well? Well, I think for us, we really wanted to focus on Paraguay and do Paraguay really well before eventually we might consider other jurisdictions, but we're we're purely focused on Paraguay. We live here for yeah, and I think it can give us a bit of an advantage over some people that they might recommend Paraguay, but really mm -hmm. they're not here every day solving problems for people like we can be. Okay, understood. And and just to provide some comparison, so I, I'm actually next door for those who didn't hear the beginning of that conversation in, yeah. in, in Uruguay and Montevideo. And the, the process for residency is quite similar, and I, I guess mm -hmm. the neighbors had made sense. So the apostille is, uh, as, as Paul pointed out, uh, a stamp or a, a system for mutual recognition of government documents that was established in 1961, the apostille convention and the, the part of one of the Hague conventions. And so what that means is that I guess it helps other governments to know that what you're presenting to them is, is real, right? So they require just, just like Paraguay, uh, apostille, um, Birth certificate, uh, police certificate from whichever jurisdiction you were last residing. But what's different in Uruguay, you require uh, a certificate that showed that you've been vaccinated for all those childhood vaccines that you, you would have got, right? Okay. And so, but it's pretty similar. And, you know, I just want to call out the vaccine part because the rest is straightforward. So I've been living a chunk of my life in the UK. So when and everything is computerized and so you got to print out and that that did present some challenges here wow. in Uruguay. They didn't know what to, to do with it. So if you come from a system where everything is automated, like Singapore, where I've lived or parts of the US or parts of Europe, it could be a, a bit challenging uh, in, in terms of Uruguay versus Paraguay. But uh, same thing, you know, you, you come in and if it is that you come from uh, uh, a jurisdiction and you're a citizen of, let's say, a tier A passport, you're not going to have a problem. But if you have a lower tier passport, a weaker passport, then you you have to jump through some hoops in getting a visa to get here in the first place. And, and I guess that could be a challenge. But anyway, so you you have the vaccine stuff. Uh, you go to a relevant medical practitioner here in Montevideo. They have a look at it. If they like it, they sign off on it. Then you go to the government office, you get an appointment, and they look at all the documents, and it's relatively straightforward. They give you, like like you said in Paraguay, it's a sort of temporary document that gives you permission until some months later where they actually get the residency card thing sorted out. So, uh, you know, again, similar uh, in, in scope from, from what I'm hearing and from, from what I'm understanding. So, so mm -hmm. that's quite interesting. Now, what if someone wants to, they, they really like it and they want to take that extra step. What about citizenship? How does that work, Paraguayan citizenship? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go through the requirements of Paraguayan citizenship. I think it's uh, comparatively easy compared to other jurisdictions. So there's a few um, requirements you have to meet. The first is uh, you have to live in Paraguay for three years. And during that time, you have to spend a minimum of six months living in Paraguay, uh, six months a year. The second is you have to sort of have a profession or a business. I mean, you can also put yourself as a retiree if that's what you are. So you have, have to have sort of some sort of, um, yeah, a, like official thing that you're doing in Paraguay, you know? So, um, and then the third is that you have to do a Spanish language and a Paraguayan culture test, which uh, you don't have to be 100% fluent, but yeah, you will need sort of a basic level of Spanish. Uh, once you go through those, you then can submit document and then um yeah and then you can start the process to obtain the citizenship right so how many years would you would have had to reside at that point oh apologies sorry it'd be three years three years so three years so six months a year during those three years understood uh and again just rough comparison that's kind of similar to uruguay so uruguay does allow applications after three years but that's with the family option so that's if you came with your family if you didn't come with your family, you have to wait five years and then you can apply. Is there any okay. distinction like that in Paraguay? No, they, they just do it on a case-by-case -case basis. I think there is benefits, for example, when you become a citizen, it's easier for you to get visas to bring family members here, but um, not in terms of the actual citizenship process. Right. And in Uruguay, so the, the two ways of getting residency in Uruguay, one, there's an investment option like most jurisdictions have. And with the investment mm -hmm. option, the residency requirement is not that strict. But wow. many people would come in on the normal option. You just, I mean, it's really relatively cheap. But with that, the residency requirements are pretty hefty. It's not just at least 183 days or six months. Mm. But, you know, they kind of like limit the amount of time you can spend out of the country. There's some wow. 21 days or 30 days or whatever it is. But it is it is pretty strict. They basically want to see, they want you to demonstrate your commitment to living in, in Uruguay. So mm. relatively speaking, I, I think it sounds as if Paraguay is a bit more flexible uh, and doesn't sound as strict, which, which is a good thing. But... What and but here, here's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. Let's say you wanted to go all the way, you got your Spanish done, you did your time, you you know, you pay your taxes, which we'll come to a bit later on. Does Paraguay allow dual citizenship? So if you look, if you read the so sometimes in Paraguay, there's um there's mm -hmm. what's exactly written in the law, and then there's what tends to mm -hmm. happen on the ground. So what's written on the law is that Paraguay only accepts dual citizenship with certain nationalities, usually Spain and other Latin countries. However, I know mm. personally dual uh, citizens, uh, American Paraguayans, German Paraguayans. So I know it's definitely possible. And I think it's really just a don't ask, don't tell. You know, they're, they're, they're not likely to ask you. The, the lovely thing about Paraguay is they only really care about what's going on in Paraguay. They don't, if you don't tell them about other citizenships, it's not a problem. That's my understanding. So, unofficially, it's only dual. Unofficially, it's I've heard of a lot of cases where it's not a problem. For me personally, I'm going to be going for citizenship, and I only have an Australian citizenship right now, and I don't 
foresee any issues with that. Yeah, and so you're prepared to go all the way and give it up. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I would not personally, as much as I love Paraguay, I'm not going to give up my <laughs> Paraguayan citizenship. Um, I don't okay. I don't believe that issues from the Paraguayan government in regards to having an Australian citizenship. Okay, oh, understood, understood. Okay. And what about taxes? How, how do taxes work in, in Paraguay? Yeah, so Paraguay is a territorial tax system, basically... Uh, and I'll say this, this is my understanding. I'll, I'll give you a brief overview for real detailed mm -hmm. stuff. We have uh, Paraguayan accountants and we have also international tax accountants that we can recommend people to use, people like yourself. But Paraguay mm -hmm. is a territorial tax system, effectively um, income or dividends or money that's gained outside of Paraguay is not taxed by the Paraguayan government. Income that is gained in Paraguay obviously is taxed by the Paraguayan government. The top uh, tax rate in Paraguay is 10%. And Paraguay actually has this really interesting system here, um, uh, which I'll explain briefly. So basically every time you buy something in Paraguay, they're gonna offer you, they're gonna say, do you want a factura, which is a tax receipt, and which will be a 10% sales tax on everything you buy. If you agree to that, you can, every, Every one of those receipts is a tax credit, so uh, which mm. will offset any tax you'll owe the government. So effectively, if mm. you were to earn $100,000 in Paraguay or equivalent, and then spend $100,000 in Paraguay, the tax credits that you would have from those receipts would actually completely um, offset the tax that you would owe to the government. So even if you were, like I said, it's, it's there's benefits for if you have overseas, let's say stocks or dividends, companies, but it's also quite useful for people in the, the local economy as well. Mm. That is that is quite interesting. And and again, just trying to compare it in my mind to, to Uruguay, that's definitely more attractive. Uruguay does have a system where either for the first five or for the first 10, depending on how you look at it, they will give you what is effectively territorial tax. But afterwards, you're in the deep end. And you're going to be taxing your worldwide income because officially it's not a territorial tax system. Oh, really? Like, yeah, like like other jurisdictions, including Paraguay. Uh, so you will be paying tax officially on, on foreign. And I, I guess if if you're one of our clients and you're looking at Uruguay or Paraguay, you're not really going there to work. You're going there to enjoy investment income that you have money that you have working for you other, elsewhere in the world. So it would be nice to know that you are not going to be, it's probably going to be taxed at source wherever the money is working anyway. But to think that it, will, it may also be taxed, well, depending on tax treaties and foreign tax credits and stuff like that. But to think that it may still be taxed upon entry to where you reside, is not a happy thought. So in that way, I think uh, Paraguay is definitely more attractive than, than Uruguay. So, so that that piece is interesting to know. Now, you you mentioned when you were looking at the criteria, you looked at a map of the world. You did consulting with with a firm, and and you know Paraguay struck you as safe. I've not mm. been to Paraguay, but I've been I've traveled elsewhere within Latin America. You know, I had a stint working for a bit for a company in Mexico City. I've been to quite a few Caribbean islands because um. 
uh, a citizen of one of the Caribbean islands as well. So, and if it's one thing with the Americas that I don't associate with is safety. Uh, uh, my sense is, and, and again, I have not been to Paraguay, right? So my sense is if I'm looking for safety, I'm looking at Europe, certain European countries, I'm looking at certain parts of Asia, but definitely I would have written off the Americas. My perception is that living in the Americas is all about enclaves, choosing the right enclaves. So for example, here in Uruguay, if I were to live here, it would definitely not be in Montevideo. It would be in Punta del Este with everybody else. Uh, Montevideo is like a typical Latin American city. If you have a residential property in a nice neighborhood, you're going to have those electric fences at the top, you right. know, or you're going to have this crazy barbed wire thing going on, or you're going to have a, a security guard at the booth with not just a gun, but he's going to have a bulletproof vest on. It's like, <laughs> like crazy yeah. fast and furious stuff, you know? So yeah. in, in Punta del Este, it's people don't even have fences, you know? Mm. And people, you know, nice uh, ceiling to floor, like glass, and it's, it's just perfect and pristine and beautiful, like it is in other parts of like Panama and Caribbean and whatever. Is Paraguay like that? So usually whenever you look at safety, I guess, ratings charts of South America, Paraguay is either second behind Uruguay or third behind Uruguay and Chile in terms of safety. Um, I thought I really liked your idea of an enclave. And it's like anywhere in regards to in those, those safe parts, but then also <laughs> this parts where I'm not going to be I'm not going to be walking around the shanty towns near the river, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, that's, that's not smart. Mm -hmm. um, in Paraguay, I'd say 95% of the expats, they live in this, um, it's kind of a new development in the middle of the city and that's very safe. So what I'll do, I'll give you a comparison of Paraguay and perhaps uh, say Colombia in terms of my experience. So in Paraguay, often I'll, I'll, I'll have a, a phone conversation just walking you know at midnight just walking around the streets oblivious to my surroundings that's never been a problem i wouldn't do that in other south american countries in paraguay i can have a meal outdoors and i can put my phone on the table in front of me and i'm not worried someone's going to run and grab it i potentially wouldn't do that in colombia or brazil and also in paraguay i can have a again be in a taxi just talking on my phone i don't think a motorcycle is going to come someone's going to grab in and, and pull it out of my hand so in that regard, it is a lot safer. However, you're right, it's not Japan, it's not Switzerland, you know. I mean, one of the benefits here is obviously that it's such a low cost of living, but that means that there are people that are obviously um, uh, are at a <laughs> higher poverty levels, which will lead to higher crime. In general, though, Paraguayans are quite, they're very uh, relaxed, non-violence, um, sort of, I wouldn't say passive, but they're just very calm, peaceful people. They don't really have a violent sort of culture. Um, so, yeah, I, in terms of South American options, I would say very safe. But, yeah, in some parts of the U.S., uh, it wouldn't be as safe as that. You know, you do have to have a little bit of um, caution in regards to how you conduct yourself. Mm, understood. And what about, like, other issues of infrastructure, like... 
in the hotel that I'm in, I'm, you know, in the middle of Montevideo, nice five-star hotel overlooking La Rambla, place to be. But mm -hmm. when I booked into my hotel, the Wi-Fi speed was, I'm like, dude, I need to use Zoom. This won't work for Zoom, right? And <laughs> we had to scramble. We needed to scramble to look for alternatives because generally speaking, Wi-Fi was slower. Uh, Uruguay was, uh, at least Montevideo, was known for port portable drinking water, but they've been recently having some issues with that. So you can't get water mm. on the taps like you would wow. in Europe or most of the US. Uh, mm. Yeah, what about all those and power supply in, in some parts of Uruguay? Maybe not. You know, I've, I've been driving for hours around Uruguay. There's some places where people have these big water tanks on top of their house in their backyard. I guess that means that their water supply may not be reliable, so they need backups. Uh, right. What is it like in Paraguay? Is is the government infrastructure decent? Like, can you work with it, or do you need to supplement it? Right. So, yeah, there, there, there's a few. You brought up some, a few good points there. We'll cover the the basic ones. Internet speeds are very reliable in um, in Asuncion, the capital. My colleague, he can get 300 megabytes per second download, more than enough to do sort of any sort of online business. There is blackouts occasionally. We probably have a blackout maybe once every three months in my experience, usually after a storm. A lot of apartment complexes like mine will have their own generator that will kick in. I really haven't been without power for longer than about five or six hours at most but it does occasionally happen. Uh, now, uh, the water, you can drink the water out of the taps here. I wouldn't do it every day. Occasionally, if I run out of um, you know, bottled water, I'll, I'll drink the water out of the taps, but yeah, the, it, it, everyone says it's safe, but this is a South American government, you know, so you take everything with a grain of salt. Um, more broadly in terms of government uh, infrastructure, public amenities, that sort of thing, I mean, like I said, the, the government doesn't collect much taxes here, right? And I kind of feel like the citizens of Paraguay have an interesting relationship with, with the government here. It's kind of like, tell you what, if you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. They don't expect much from the government. The government doesn't really enforce much rules or regulations or restrictions on people here. But then also the government really doesn't give much in return. This is great in terms of personal freedom, but perhaps one of the most free places you can do in terms of your everyday life, but it means that the roads here aren't great, right? They're okay, but you know, there'll be, there'll be more potholes than perhaps you would like. It can be a little bit haphazard in public places. Again, the parks and all that, they're nice, but they're not gonna be as beautiful as parks in the States or even Uruguay. So that's kind of the, the trade-off you have to make if that's something that's important for you. What I find in Paraguay is that private spaces, can be quite nice, very first world. You, it could be a place in Europe or America, but then public spaces can feel, have a bit of a, a third world type feel to them sometimes. So yeah, I would say in regards to that, that's a weakness of Paraguay, the, the public amenities. But, and that, but that's a fair point that you raise. I mean, that is a trade-off. Nowhere in the world is perfect. It simply doesn't exist, which is yeah. why flat theory became a thing uh, because there's, there's give and take, right? So in return for personal freedom, i.e. you want a government that doesn't get involved in your life, you have a government that literally does not get involved in your life. Exactly. 
you need to get certain things done. You need to make your own provisions for healthcare. You need to make your own provisions for personal security by paying for the right neighborhood. You're gonna have to, you know, have certain backups and provisions in place. And the trade-off is if you really wanted a government that looked after you, be prepared to pay a lot in taxes mm-hmm. and the government will get involved in your daily life. So, it, you know, it makes sense. It is, it is a trade-off. And do you, you know, given your time, I mean, you've been on both sides of the spectrum. I mean, Australia yeah. is pretty full, full on, right? They take yeah. half your money, but they look after you, right? They do. And Par- Paraguay, they just leave you alone. So yeah. what what is what's how has that transition been like for you? I mean, I guess uh, how has it been to me? Honestly, a little bit of context. I did come from almost an eighteen month lockdown in Melbourne, oh. where you know you weren't really allowed to leave your house for more than two hours a day. To being able to walk out on the street, seeing people having fun mm-hmm. at bars, and it, 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 it's a complete opposite. Even. Even just little things here, like people, you're allowed to just walk down the street and have a beer if you want. You know, there's just all these. I feel like Australia is kind of like the the obsessive parent that just tries to manage every part of your life to look after you and make sure you're well. But it's oppressive in many ways. So I felt free in a way I hadn't felt in a long time. Um, That said, I mean, it's really it really comes are you the type of person that really needs looking after and you need all the help? In which case, a place like Australia is great because they're going to maintain a very comfortable minimum for you. But if you feel that you're sort of hitting your head against the top, you know, if it, if yeah, paying 50, 60% in taxes uh, doesn't sound great because you're in that income bracket or potentially you could be, a place like Paraguay is amazing. I mean, the other thing is, uh, and Here's a real interesting dichotomy about South America. And that's that sometimes it can be frustrating here because maybe the services or the work ethic or the level of organization isn't what we're used to in the West, but it gives you such an opportunity as a, as a business person or to come and to work and to create your own business in a, a economy like this. Cause naturally you're, you know, you're 50%, 100% ahead of the competition. By simply doing stuff like, you know, being reliable, communicating on times, following through with what you say, you know, it gives you just such an advantage um, when you're in an economy like this, which is more, I guess, informal. Um, yeah, so I, I talked about a few different things, but um, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. And and to be fair, that, that's a fantastic point. And that's kind of like what brought me to Uruguay. I had so many of my clients asking me and kind of engaging me in conversations about Uruguay. And I spoke to some people in the investment migration space and they said, hey, Uruguay is way different from the average Latin American jurisdiction. So I decided to have a look. I did reach out to so many lawyers, uh, not just in Uruguay, but I was thinking about visiting Chile as well. And nobody replies. Yeah. I am contacting you through your website. I am willing to pay for your time. I'm not yeah. looking for freebies here because yeah. I understand the value of time. I'm willing to do a paid consult. Um, crickets. So yeah. when I saw that, I said, hey, there's an opportunity here. So I was hoping, and since I've been here, I've been engaging conversations with lots of lawyers. 
every time I land in a new jurisdiction, I want to talk to as many lawyers as possible because that's how I get, you know, a lay of the land. And, uh, and, and yes, you're absolutely right. They are doing, you know, within that cultural context with things that are perhaps a bit more laid back. But when you have someone who drops in and who is more into leaning forward than leaning back, I think, yeah, absolutely. You can see so many opportunities, but then you understand why they may be a bit laid back because there's so many restrictions. There's so much bureaucracy, mm-hmm. you know, like we're coming from uh, an Anglo-Saxon common law jurisdiction, the process for forming a company for, uh, you know, the compliance, filing your taxes, they are way, way easier than in some of these jurisdictions. You have to get a license. You have to, the company formation process is painful. The ongoing compliance burden is mindless and mind blowing. How have you adjusted to that part of doing business in Paraguay? Yeah, so <laughs> it is a lesson in patience sometimes you know and um there's no point getting upset about things that you can't change i guess what i always try to do in paraguay is always have more than one provider for anything and have a backup you know and and let the free markets uh make the decision you know if someone's taking too long or well i'm I'm going with this person you know so it's really about making sure you have options because yeah if your if your whole process is relying on one person to get it done that's you're in a precarious situation, you know, in a place like this because they don't always come through in the timelines that you would like. Okay, wonderful. And if someone wants to follow follow this up, they want to find out more about Paraguay and the pros and yeah. cons and see if it's right fit for them. How can they find you, Paul? Yeah, so our um, it's best if you follow us on our Twitter, Plan B Paraguay. There, we are posting just daily about um, information about the country so people can learn more about it and see if it's a fit from them, uh, for them. Sorry, From there, there's also our contact on our Twitter, in which case they can book a call with me and we can discuss if Paraguay would be a good fit for them. Okay. So that's Paul, Plan B Paraguay. So just go to Twitter and look for Plan B Paraguay and he'll be in touch with Paul and his team. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your experience and your advice. Any parting words, any final thoughts? Uh, It's like you said, Darren, um, everyone's flag theory, what everyone's requirements are different. So as learn as much as you can, keep doing your research and, um, and, but also don't give up on pushing to trying to find a place that really fits what you're looking for. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Darren. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.